0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500, South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10:30 a.m. and 2:30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Continuing in the line of thought that Sean mentioned earlier, we're going to continue talking about. The absolute certainty of God's truth. In tonight's study, we will do that through a consideration of your attitude towards the Word of God, the attitude through which we view the Scriptures. I remember a very pleasant and profitable conversation with a dear brother in Christ many years ago, quite a few years my senior, but we shared a common interest in the love of Scripture and. He'd just been studying it longer than I had because he'd been alive a lot longer than I had. The old brother has passed on now, gone on to his reward. We were talking about the scripture, its beauty, its power, its relatability, its relevance to us, etc. And he made a statement that struck me as very fascinating. And the more I've thought about this statement, the more I believe that he's absolutely right. He said, the meaning of scripture is hidden to the careless reader. Now, think about that. The moment he said that, I remembered a classmate in college who was a devout atheist, and he said he had read the Bible twice. He just didn't really see anything in there that he liked. He was a nice fellow and all, but he just wasn't impressed with it. And I thought about the manner in which he read it not from a standpoint of, I'm going to see if I believe this or not, but from the standpoint of skepticism. I don't like this book, so I'm going to read it to prove that I don't like it. And I thought about that careless reader that my brother in the Lord had said. His point was, when you read the Scriptures, if you don't read it with some sense of respect for what you have, you're not going to get what's there to be gotten. Now, for the person reading it for the first time that's trying to decide what they believe and, you know, they're reading it with an open mind, okay, they're going to get some things. There's power in the message. I'm not trying to imply that there's not. What I am trying to say is as that person reads and learns and comes to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and gives their life over to the Lord and walks with him and then begins to study the word with a deeper reverence and a deeper respect and a deep attitude of appreciation for it, then the scripture's meaning is just going to become more clear to them. I don't mean they're going to understand everything when they read it for the second time. Some of us are way past time number two of reading it, and none of us here claim to understand everything. But what I do see in consideration of my brother's statement, he's really right. To get the most and the best out of Scripture requires approaching it with a sense of reverence, with the right kind of attitude. And when you do that, new things unfold before your view. So it's important to have a proper attitude towards the Word of God. We're going to talk this evening about an attitude of respect. We're going to talk about an attitude of trust. We're going to talk about an attitude of honesty and we're going to talk about an attitude of surrender. We'll also, in the course of our study, consider the opposite attitudes of these positive ones that we should have someone having disdain as opposed to respect, someone having distrust or doubt as opposed to trust, someone being dishonest in their approach to Scripture rather than honest, or someone rejecting its message rather than having an attitude of surrender. Those are the things that we will consider out in our study. To frame the the study in this way, perhaps this will help you see uh, the framework of what we want to talk about. In each of these attitudes, we'll talk about that attitude in how it looks in your life in a practical way. We'll talk about that attitude in the way that it leads to obedience And we'll talk about that attitude as it relates to its opposite attitude, which I introduced on the previous screen. So that frames up what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about the attitude of respect now. Having a reverence and a respect for the Word of God. Psalms 119, verse 161, an excellent chapter to study. If you want to study about the value of God's Word, There's a lot of places you can go in Scripture, but you could spend all your time in Psalms 119 and benefit greatly. Here he said, princes have persecuted me without cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Here the psalmist talks about dealing with problems and injustice in life. He's suffering because people in authority are giving him grief for no good reason. And what's his response to that difficulty that he's facing in life? He thinks about the beauty and power of God's word. And the way he put that, it it, it captures my attention. He said, my heart stands in awe of your word. When I think about awe, it's a, it's a jaw-dropping word because the way we pronounce it, we have to drop our jaw, aw. Oh. And when I think, you know, you think of jaw-dropping as really being amazed. When I think about being amazed in a jaw-dropping moment, I think about the first time I ever saw my wife. I experienced a jaw-dropping moment. I said, aw. I am plan on marrying her. I'm not kidding you. I don't know who that is, but I know what she's going to be someday. <laughs> and I know what her last name will be. Oh, I, I, it must have looked kind of bad as I stood at the door of the church house. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, us guys are pretty simple, aren't we? Awe. Oh. the more you cherish God's word. the more you turn to God's word when life isn't fair and you're being bothered and it's not right. And instead of getting sour in that, you turn to God's word and the more you find its beauty and its power and its relevance and its sweet answers to the things that trouble us the most. The more you reread a passage for the umpteenth time and all of a sudden in an aha moment, you find that new little acorn you'd been rooting around for. And all of a sudden, there it is. A new truth, a new beauty that you had not yet noticed before. The more we just can't help but be overwhelmed. Just left standing at the church house door with our knuckles dragging and our mouth hanging open saying, Wow, this is beautiful. This is amazing. You know, I feel that today on a level that I didn't feel 40 years ago. I loved it 40 years ago. I, I tried not to read it carelessly, but I'm thinking of my late brother in the Lord who talked about reading the scriptures not in carelessness, but in carefulness. And the more you do that, the more you see that attitude of respect for the beauty and the power of this message. That respect is bound up in the fact that we believe this is, in fact, God's Word. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is in a context where Paul had talked to Timothy about the Scriptures that Timothy had known from childhood. That would be the Old Testament Scriptures. Timothy grew up being taught the Old Testament Scripture. And then adding to that, Paul now talks about all Scripture or the Scripture that was being written by the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. And so in consideration of the Old Testament Scriptures and now bringing in the New Testament books, Paul sums it all together and says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You've probably heard it explained before that that phrase literally means God breathed. Think about what that says. Imagine taking a beautiful book but with blank pages and then God just breathes on that book and then it's filled with ink. It's filled with letters. It's filled with words and phrases and sentences and paragraphs and power and answers to what my soul needs the most. And of course it's filled with those things because God breathed it. Think of the life-giving power in the breath of God. And perhaps your heart goes back to the creation story where the Bible tells us that God shaped Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then what did God do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God breathed life-giving power No wonder Jesus Christ said the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. There's life-giving power in the God-breathed message of his word. That should invite our respect. See what that looks like in your life and mine. First Thessalonians chapter 2.13, if I may bring this to your consideration from the New King James. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So notice here, it effectively works. I believe the King James uses the word effectually. We're not as acquainted with that word, so I want you to consider the wording here. That means it effectively works. And how did the saints at Thessalonica receive the word? Not as the word of men, but like it really is, the word of God. And when they received it as the Word of God, that means they received it with the mentality that it's going to effectively work in them. So when we look at the message of the Word of God, the attitude of respect doesn't say, oh, that won't work for me. It doesn't say that. We've got more respect than that. That's a careless reader that's going to miss something, something valuable, something critical. So, think about being like the saints at Thessalonica in our daily lives. And when we study the word, we expect finding answers. We study it with this attitude of respect that says, I believe this effectively or effectually works within us. In Psalms, or excuse me, Isaiah 45 and verse 9, woe to him that striveth with his maker. Don't argue with what God said in his book, have more respect than that. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth what makest thou or thy work? He hath no hands. It's a simple illustration he gives. When somebody's at the potter's wheel fashioning a piece of pottery, the clay doesn't look up at the artisan and say, you don't know what you're doing. Why are you shaping me like this? That whole notion is silly. And God says, "That's what it's like when you challenge your Maker, when you strive with your Maker." So we don't argue with the message of God's word. We approach it with a sense of respect. And you know what? It's right. I may be struggling with it. I may not like what it's telling me to do or not do. But at the end of day, at the end of the day, it's right. It reminds me what an old friend told me many years ago about ego (laughs) he approached the word ego ego as letters that represent a process edging God out (laughs) that's what we do with our ego we push God out and we want what we want and that's a recipe for striving with your maker that's not the proper respect for the word of God with the proper respect, that leads us to obedience. Psalms 119 verse 38. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. The psalmist devoted himself to a fearful obedience to God. Why? Because we read in the same chapter, his heart stands in awe of God's word. The opposite of respect is Disdain. God warned Israel in Leviticus 26 and 15, if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, he warned them, he goes on to warn them about the punishments they would face as a nation. Why? If they didn't respect his word, if they disdained it, if they abhorred his judgments. James 1, 18 and 19, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures wherefore my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath now you've heard that verse 19 quite a bit I'm sure I used to plug it into lessons talking about how we ought to act with each other be how am I supposed to treat you and how are you supposed to treat me swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath well that may be true but that's not what James 1 19 says James 1.19 is talking about how we receive the word of truth. This is talking about how we interact with God. And when I approach God, I've got to be ready to listen and slow to speak and slow to wrath. You think people don't get mad at the message of God's word? Get out in the street and start preaching it. You'll find out how many people get mad. Keep following that context and see if it's talking about how we interact with our fellow man or how we interact with God. Let's get this in our minds now. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why, James? For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So what am I supposed to do about it, James? Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and get along with your neighbor. That's not what he said. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This is how I approach the Bible. And I don't go in here letting myself get mad at what it tells me to do and not do. I approach God with a readiness to hear what he has to say. Not a readiness to tell him how I want it to be. That's our attitude towards the word of God. That's avoiding that attitude of disdain. We've got to have an attitude of trust. Here we are again in Psalms 119. This time, verse 138. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. David said what this meeting is about. God is right. Go back to Sunday morning's lesson. God is right. If I don't feel it, if I don't see it that way, if I don't agree, that doesn't amount to a hill of beans in terms of determining right and wrong. The only hill of beans that amounts to is it puts me in opposition to my Maker. You see, that attitude of, tr- of respect is tied to this attitude of trust. Because I respect this as a God breathed, life giving message, I have trust. My creator knows me. He knows how he made me. He knows what's good for me and what's not good for me. So his testimonies, the things he tells me about human nature and about what's right and wrong, they are very faithful. I can trust him. Don't you have friends and associates in life that you trust? If you do business with them or interact with them and they tell you something, aren't there those that you just, you have that attitude and that comfort of, you know, if they tell you that you can just take it to the bank. That's how it is to the best of their ability to, to understand it. That's how it is. <clears throat> Don't we just love being able to deal with people like that? On the other hand, there are those that would lie when the truth would serve them better. It's almost like it becomes a sport to see which lie they'll tell next and how big they can make it. You think of those polar opposites and think of the beauty and the peace of mind of being able to just really trust somebody. And that's how we should feel towards God's word. Just trust whatever he says, it's faithful, it's right. And look at what that looks like in my life. Psalms 118 and verse 8, it's better to put trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. When I've got problems and I'm looking for answers, when I have a spiritual issue and my soul needs healing, let's listen to what God says. Let's be careful about the self help shelf at the bookstore. I'm not saying there's no value to be found in any of those books, but I'll tell you, when you find value, you've found a principle that's also taught in the Word of God or it's not valuable. I'm not talking about medical problems. I'm talking about spiritual problems. And when it's a spiritual problem, it's better to put trust in the Lord than have confidence in man. So in my life, what my trust in the Word of God looks like is, I believe God has the answers. But that answer is going to be hidden to the careless reader. I need to dig, don't I? Proverbs 3, one of uh, probably a lot of people's most favored passage. Five and six, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So we trust in the Lord. What does that trust In the word of God means. That means I don't trust myself. I don't lean on my own understanding. So what am I going to do with that? In all my ways I'm going to acknowledge him. And I'm going to follow the direction that he gives to my path. And that will lead me to obedience. Zephaniah 3 and 2. She obeyed me not. God why did your people not obey you? She obeyed not the voice. She received not the correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. When there was a breakdown in trust, there was a breakdown in obedience. When there's a breakdown in obedience, it's because there's a breakdown in trust. We might think, well, it's not that I didn't trust God. I just messed up. I understand that. But from a certain perspective, particularly heaven's perspective, God looks us in that moment and says, in that moment, you stop trusting. Think about that. As you think about our approach to God's book, we don't want an attitude of doubt. We want an attitude of trust. Look at what the scriptures tell us about doubt. In Jeremiah 23, 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, they make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart. Not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace and to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart. They say no evil shall come upon you. Jeremiah was dealing with people in Judah as he warned them about their sin. Some were saying, oh no, the Lord gave me a vision and he said we're just fine. And what God, what's God saying about their vision? He's saying that's from their own heart. They're walking according to the dictates of their own heart. You remember that the next time someone tells you they've got direct revelation outside the Word of God. You remember that. Keep reading later in that chapter, Jeremiah 23, verse 25 through 32. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to To err. God talked about people in Jeremiah's day that claim to have revelation and visions and oh, God gave me a dream and he said they're making it up and when they do, they're stealing God's word from people because attention is taken away from the word of God and is placed on some story someone's telling. When someone in their teaching and their preaching Starts telling stories and quits reading the book. There's a problem. And God says, they're stealing my words and they're causing my people to err. Take it back to what the book says because that's what matters the most. When God's people encountered that problem in Jeremiah's day, he called it a lie. And what did that lie do? It caused people to doubt God's word and turn their attention elsewhere. Same thing happens today. We need to have an attitude of honesty. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about how God's word comes into the human heart. He said, that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. That's the good soil in the parable of the sower. An honest and a good heart. You've got to be honest with yourself. And everything about a proper attitude towards the Word of God, having respect for it, having trust for it, everything about that compels us to be honest as we approach it. I can't receive its benefit if I'm, if I'm not honest with myself about what it tells me. When it's revealing to me my failings and my flaws, when it's telling me where I've messed up, and I'm not honest with myself, I'm blocking its value. I'm denying myself its worth. So the respect and the trust compels me to be honest. You know, when you respect people, you'll be honest, won't you? Isn't dishonesty a show of disrespect? I mean, in, in business transactions before, I've dealt with people before that I could tell they were lying through their teeth. And in that, and immediately told me, they don't have any respect for me. If they did, they wouldn't lie to me. Well, why would it be any different when we approach the Word of God? If we're dishonest about it, that's a lack of respect and a lack of trust. If I trust the medicine that it offers for my soul, then I'll be honest with myself in my receiving of that medication. An honest and a good heart, look at what that looks like in our lives. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves. Know how, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. When he said prove there, that means test. In older English, we use the word prove more often in that way to indicate a test or a proving of something. It's not about proving a point. It's about testing something. So what does he say? Examine ourselves, test our own selves. A good friend long ago talked to me about a process of recovery in his life from addiction that had dominated him and destroyed his life and his family and the process of healing and recovering spiritually from that. And one of the things he emphasized was constant, daily, he always used the word rigorous, rigorous self-examination. And when you got him to stop and talk for a while about rigorous, he dwelt on the idea of being honest with yourself and admitting where you had messed up or needed help or whatever like that. And that's why in his mind that was rigorous because you're fighting against yourself. And that's hard work. Being honest with yourself at this level is a whole new level. But it's born out of this deep respect for the Word of God and this trust in the Word of God. And it's bound to lead us to obedience. In James 1 and 22, he said, Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if you be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh to the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the one that's blessed is the one who looks at it honestly and he sees where he's lacking and he doesn't just hear what God has to say. He does something about it and therein comes the obedience. Because you're honest, you're willing to jump in. The opposite of that is self-deceit. Psalms 36, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. So he looks at himself, he sees his sin, and what does he do? He flatters himself, says, ah, oh, it's not that bad. He said, that's the transgression right there. That's where the sin comes from, a breakdown in that self honesty. Look at the self-deceit in Isaiah 44 and 20. He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So a person has deceived their own heart and what followed? They turned aside. They failed in their relationship with God. We cannot allow ourselves that deceit. Ultimately, our, our respect must bring us to surrender Psalms 119, again, what is that, four or five times now? This time, verse 15 and 16. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. I will delight. That's somebody that loves it. That's somebody, they they don't have to groan and say, man, I I hadn't read in a while. I better go dust it off. They don't have to go through that. They want to. They're looking for the next opportunity. I think about a, a nearly lifelong friend. We come to see him one morning. We were supposed to link up and go do something. I don't remember what. Sort of early in the morning he was still in bed he's wide awake he's laying there reading he had his Bible open he's plowing through the Old Testament he thought he must have woke up thought he'd lay there and read a chapter or two he'd been reading all night he went to bed the night before and thought well I'll read a little bit And he, got, he loved it so much he couldn't put it down And so he just kept reading and kept reading and kept reading and the next thing you know, it was the morning and we showed up ready to go. Now, you know, he wasn't a grown man with a wife and kids and family and job and duties, and I get it, we can't read our Bibles all night every night. That's not the point. The point is, he didn't have to make himself, he just loved it that much. And when you come to this point, of a full surrender to the Word of God based on your respect, based on your trust, based on your honesty. You come to really appreciate it in a full heart, a full surrender, and you'll delight in it. And it'll be a lot easier to make time. This guy's a lot older now, so you know he's got a full and busy life, and I'm pretty sure there's not that many times he reads his Bible all night, but he reads it a lot. Because he loves it. We can too. Look at what that looks like in, in our lives. Psalms 40, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. They learn to love to do what the Lord wants. That's full surrender. I just give in to it. I come to love it so much. Acts 13, When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. Imagine using David as an example of this. David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Who shall fulfill all my will? David had a heart of surrender. He loved the law that much, and he loved the Lord that much. And in that full surrender, God said, I can build an eternal kingdom around that heart. You think about that when you pray to God to use you in building his kingdom. God builds his kingdoms around hearts like David's, hearts that have a full surrender to the word of God, accepting It's truth and it's absoluteness. And so that brings us to obedience, doesn't it? Romans 6 and 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Surrender. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, as your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So he tells us to yield. In that surrender, there is obedience to God. And the attitude that is opposite is rejection. Jeremiah 6 and verse 19. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they've not hearkened unto my words nor to my law, but rejected it. It's pretty absolute with God. You either listen to it and surrender or you reject it. People don't like absolutes, do they? What I find ironic is they're pretty absolute in saying they don't like absolutes. Think about that. The assertion that no truth is absolute is an absolute assertion, which makes it absurd. Yes, there is an absolute truth. And God is its wellspring. And people that don't listen to his words and don't obey his words are rejecting it. We're compelled to receive God's word. John 12 and 48, Jesus warned us, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. You don't want to believe that God's truth is absolute judgment day. will give you a chance to learn otherwise. Because it will absolutely condemn those who reject it. And He will absolutely send them away to their punishment. Don't let that be your fate. An attitude of respect, an attitude of trust, an attitude of honesty and surrender. Instead of those ungodly attitudes of disdain and doubt and dishonesty and rejection. All these things we've talked about from scripture show us what your attitude towards the word of God should be. And it's ultimately proven and demonstrated in your actions. You show your attitude toward the word of God and becoming a follower of Christ. In obeying the gospel and being a Christian and walking faithfully with him. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.